This week, if you open up to the middle of your Bible, you should be pretty close to the book of Job. That's where we're going to be spending most of all of our time this morning. Job chapter 1. And as you guys turn there, I want to go ahead and, and open up with prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Father, I just pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that you, your spirit would just continue to move in this place. God, as we continue to worship you, that you would move, and God, that whatever, uh, whatever it is that we are going through, whatever it is that we're struggling with, God, uh, that you would just help us to uh, just feel your presence, to know, God, that you are with us, and that you're for us, and that you love us. God, help us to see our need for Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series, uh, Explore God, and this week we are going to be looking at the question, uh, why does God allow pain and suffering? That's probably one of the the biggest questions and probably the oldest question that people have had about God uh, and about Christianity in general. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Originally, this question was posed as a philosophical question by a guy named Epicurus back in the 4th century, and it was later made famous by a guy in the 18th century named David Hume. And basically the question went like this. Uh, Christians say that God is loving and good and that God is all-powerful, but there is real pain, suffering, and evil in the world. Therefore, God is either loving and good and not all-powerful because He can't do anything about pain and suffering, Or he must be all-powerful, but not loving and good. In other words, he's indifferent, he's detached from the world, and he just chooses not to do anything about the suffering and pain and evil in the world. So either there is no God, or he is clearly not the God that Christians claim him to be. So that was the the philosophical question posed uh, for a long time uh, about pain and suffering. But my guess is that most of us in this room are probably not sitting around drinking lattes in Starbucks, having a philosophical discussion about pain and evil and suffering. Would I be correct in that assumption? Right? For most of us, this problem of pain and suffering is one of experiencing it personally. Right? It's one that we face because of just uh, the sheer brokenness of the world that we live in. I mean, let's be honest, right? There is nothing more certain in life than pain and suffering. Most of us have experienced or will experience sickness, uh, deep disappointment, disaster, and all of us will experience death at some point. Now, that's a great sermon introduction, is it not? Right? And that very encouraging. And when you suffer, listen to me, when we suffer, when we go through things like that, it's only natural for us to ask the question, why? Why? Why is this happening? As a matter of fact, George Barna, he's a Christian research guy, and uh, he does researches all the time. And he asked uh, this question. Uh, he did a national survey and he said, if you could ask God one question and you knew that God would give you the answer to that question, what would you ask? And you know what the number one question was that people would ask? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? I know for me personally, uh, the why question became very real t- uh, several years ago when I walked through a time in my life 
where I experienced deep, uh, deep emotional disappointment and pain in my life. I can remember on numerous occasions that I would uh, stand out on my back porch and I would ask this very question. I would look up and I'd just say, God, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? I didn't understand it. It was just a very, very difficult time in my life. I was very confused. I, had, I felt like I had no place of refuge. Like I felt like no matter where I went, there was turmoil and it was, uh, it was difficult. I can remember one point, I'm just being honest with you. I can remember one point, and you guys know me. You guys know that I'm kind of a carefree, laid-back, easygoing kind of guy, right? I can remember one point thinking to myself, God, if this is going to be my life, I'm ready to go. I'm ready, I'm ready for you just to take me out. I had those thoughts. That, 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 that's kind of what I was going through. And, um, and as I look back on that situation now, many years later, Here's what I tell you, here's what I can tell you that I learned. I learned a lot of things, but I'm not going to tell you everything I learned. But what's most impactful to me was that I was able to experience God's grace. You see, I grew up in the church from birth all the way up. And I was in, at this point in my life, I was like two years into Bible college. And so I knew the scriptures. I knew the word of God. I knew what you say to people when they're going through times like what I was going through, right? You say, hey, God's grace is sufficient. You know, that's what you say. I knew that. But the problem was, is up until that point, I knew that in theory. And then I was going, I was learning it in in practice now, right? I went from knowing it in my head that God's grace was sufficient to knowing it, to knowing it in practice, to knowing that God's grace is sufficient for me. And every time that I felt like that I was at the end of my rope, every time I felt like that, I had uh, just exhausted God's grace, uh, God's grace abounded even more. Now, this may not be the answer for you, and, and some of you may be wrestling with the, the question of why, why would God allow this to happen in my life, and I don't, uh, and, and I don't understand this. Uh, don't you know how painful this is for me, God? And some of you are just going, going through an unending, it seems like just a pit of pain. Right, where it just never seems to stop, and an unending quest for answers and doubt. And all these questions and all these doubts that we have, these are legitimate things. And so this, this is my goal for today. My goal for today, listen to me, is not to provide you with an easy, easy cliche answer so that you can walk out of this room today knowing uh, or how to explain why pain and suffering exist. But what I do want you to know is that when you leave, you can walk out of this room with grace that is sufficient for whatever you are going through. I want you to know that, that as you walk away, that, that God is for you, that he does love you, and that God is good, and that he is all-powerful. So for not so much the answers, but some ways to deal with pain and suffering in our life, we're going to look at Job. And to be honest with you, there's no book in the Bible or piece of literature that addresses the great question of suffering like, uh, like Job does. Um, you know, like, like last week, we looked at Ecclesiastes. Job falls in that, that middle part of the Bible, what's called wisdom and literature. And so that's, that's what we're looking at today. Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible. A lot of scholars believe that Job took place sometime between Noah and Abraham in Genesis. Uh, they're not certain. They're not for sure on that. But, but a lot of people believe that. And, and the book of Job and the story of Job has stood the test of time for thousands and thousands of years uh, people have looked at Job and his story and uh, to find comfort and peace during their pain and suffering. And so the opening verses, if you have your Bibles there, just look at them. I'm not going to read the opening verses. 
Uh, but the opening verses introduce us to the character of Job, and I think this is important uh, because the author really goes out of his way to show you what type of God Job is. And the reason why he does that is because as you begin reading throughout the rest of the book of Job, especially chapters 3 through 31, Job has a few friends uh, that begin to have these conversations with Job about theology, about the study of God. And, and they're talking about God being just and, ju- and God doing what is right. And, and so they, they begin to plant these, these thoughts in Job's mind that maybe the reason you're experiencing this suffering, maybe the reason why you're going through this is because you've sinned. You've done something in your life that you're just not aware of. And, and the point that the author is making is, is that Job is a righteous man. Right? That, that, that just because we experience suffering in our life doesn't mean it's as a result of sin. And that's kind of what the point of the opening verses uh, that, that, that Job is, is explaining here. He says, uh, he uses these words like blameless and shuns evil and feared God and he's upright. And again, this doesn't mean that Job was sinless. It just means that in his earthly relationships, Job was knocking things out of the park. Right? Job was such a God-fearing man and concerned about God's holiness that even when his kids would throw massive parties, Job would show up the morning after. He would dress his kids up for church, and he would send them off to consecrate them uh, just to make sure that they did not sin against God in their heart. This is the kind of guy that Job was. Job was a very wealthy man. Right, we're talking big house on the hill with multiple car garage, swimming pool, tennis courts, you name it. Job had it. And, uh, and then the scene after that shifts in verse 6 to heaven, uh, to this dialogue between God and Satan. And, and this is what I, I want us to read here. Starting in verse 6, down through verse 12, let's read it together. Uh, it says, now the scripture will be on the screen too if you don't have your Bible. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? See, see, God is just reiterating what what the author said in verses 1, 2, and 3. And he says, And Satan answered the Lord and said, "Does Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then as you continue reading, you see that in one fell swoop, I mean, this is just a matter of, of, it seemed like a day, Job loses everything. He lost his servants, his livestock are destroyed, and then worst of all, his children are killed in a tragic accident. Now, we may be looking at this, and we may be wondering, what in the world is going on? Right? We may look at this, and, and we may be shocked to see that, that, that God, in this story, is actually initiating the conversation between him and Satan, right? It's, it's almost like God is putting a target on Job's back. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Look at my, look at my guy, man. He's my number one guy, right? He, he's, he's varsity level type of Christian, and he's pointing him out. I like what one author said. It's, 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 he, he kind of uh, um, likened it to this. He says, it's like a diamond thief coming into a jewelry store and walking around the store, looking at everything, 
and then getting to the back of the jewelry store and walking uh, and seeing the owner. And the owner says, what are you doing? And the thief says, well, I'm checking out your diamonds and I'm seeing what all you have. And the owner says, well, have you noticed my most prized diamond, my, my most prized possession at the front of the store? Did you see that diamond when you came in? And then the owner takes the, the diamond thief up there and, and, and shows him this, this most valuable piece of, of diamond there. And, and that's what is going on. I mean, that's, that's the picture we've got here. Uh, this is what God is doing. And, and, and we're like, what, what, what's happening here? Like, I, I don't understand why, why God would do this. And I studied this a lot over the last couple of weeks, and I was looking at several different things. And I really like what uh, David Platt, Platt says and how he describes this. He he says that it was God's design, it's God's design for our lives on this earth to include suffering. And he says that it goes more, it goes beyond just allowing suffering, but rather God has designed the suffering in Job's life. And as I began to study that and look at other scriptures, it made sense to me, uh, and I know this is kind of tough for, our, for us to wrap our minds around, but I want to just show you a couple of examples from the New Testament and kind of see where this plays out. And then I'll show you another example later on in, in the sermon. But, but in, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is having a conversation with one of his disciples named Peter. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. Now, that's important, right? Because the same picture we see here in Job chapter 1. Satan comes to God, right? God initiates the conversation, but Job is like, hey, look, the only reason he's following you is because of these things. But, but he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan needs permission. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And then he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, it's interesting because he didn't say if you turn back, but Jesus says when you turn back. And so you see there's design there for Peter, right? The design is, is that when you turn back, you will be able to strengthen your brothers, Another example comes from Peter, uh, the guy who just was in that story, writes 1 Peter 5.8, and he's warning his readers that Satan will attack them. And and this is what he says. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Again, this is the picture we see in Job 1, right? Satan says, I've kind of been going to and fro from the earth. And he says, Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And so the design here for us is it's God's will for you to suffer. And when you suffer, he will restore you. You will be strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, I'm not suggesting that every time that we go through suffering or pain in our life, that it's a result of, of God and Satan having this conversation about you up in heaven. That's not what I'm suggesting, right? But what I am suggesting is that God can design our suffering for his glory and for our ultimate good. And that may be hard to understand, right? But I also want you to see that regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we experience in this life, I want you to see the picture here in Job 1 and 2 that God is in complete control. And that's what we need to see here. Right? God is ultimately in control. Satan is not in control here. All right? 
I don't want you to think that this is like some Star Wars epic battle between good and evil where, you know, it's this struggle, you know, that the, the good will, will eventually overcome, but it's this wrestling match, you know, and, 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 and the good takes, takes a, a big hit. You know, it's not like that at all, right? God is in complete control. God alone is Almighty God. As a matter of fact, over 30 times in the book of Job, it's mentioned that God is Almighty Right? Satan is not. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. God is all-knowing. Satan is not. God is in complete control. Right? God, God tells Satan, he says, you can do this, and you can do that. You can do this, but you can't do that. In other words, Satan is on a leash. Right? And God holds the reins. So we can take comfort this morning in knowing that God is sovereign and that God is in complete control. No, no matter what we go through, regardless of what we go through. But something else to notice here, and I think this is important, is that no point is Job ever let in on the conversation that takes place in heaven. Right? I mean, Job goes through all this. And if you've never read, read through the book of Job, I would encourage you to go this week and just read through it. But Job goes through all this, and never is he let in on the conversation that took place in heaven. As a result, the only perspective that Job has is one from the middle of darkness that surrounds him. All right, but you and I, as we read this story, we have a different perspective, don't we? We kind of get the whole picture. We get the bird's eye view of what's going on, and this helps us understand that what is happening to Job is actually for Job's good. All right? We, we, we see the end of the story. We know that it's an, actually an honor for Job to, to kind of go through what he's going through, and at the end of the book, he's going to be restored, and God's going to do that for him. But Job has no idea that that's going to happen. I mean, when you get to the end of chapter 2, Job thinks he's, he's about to die. Job is thinking, man, this is it. This is the end of my life. And that's part of the point of the book is that whenever we walk through suffering, we have a very limited perspective. Right? We will always see pain and suffering from an earthly point of view. And the point of Job here is to show us that there is another perspective. It's a perspective that God is with us, and that he is for us, and he is loving and wise towards his people, and that God has full reign over everything in our lives. So, so why is this happening, we may ask? We may ask the question, why? Well, the answer may not be found here on this earth. Right? Throughout, this, throughout the book, if you read, Job, Job asks the same questions. He asks God, why am I going through this? I don't understand this. And then when you finally get to the end of the book and, and God answers Job, it says God answers Job out of the whirlwind. Uh, God doesn't come to Job and say, look, Job, I know this has been really hard on you. Man, but you, you've been a real trooper. Right? You, you've hung in there. Man, you've done a good job. Right? God, God doesn't say any of that. As a matter of fact, God begins his speech in chapter 38, verse 2, with these words. He says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? See, God, God never really gives Job an answer to the why of suffering. And as, Job, as God begins to, to unfold all the mysteries of the earth and, and how he is in complete control and he's asking Job all these questions like, where were you when I did all this? You know, Job finally responds in chapter 42, verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so so that's, the earthly, that's the earthly perspective. But I want you to imagine um, the, the heavenly picture here is Job is suffering. Right? Job has no idea that any of this is happening. But Job, he's lost everything. And, and then there standing in heaven is God 
and Satan and 10,000 angels waiting to hear Job's response. And Job looks up and he says in verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And unbeknownst to Job, at that moment, 10,000 arms in heaven shoot up in the sky and 10,000 voices shout out, Worthy is the God of Job. So Job has no idea that that's, that that's happening. And Satan runs from the presence of God. See, that's the perspective of heaven. But we don't get to see that. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we praise God when surrounded by the mysteries of earth? Will we trust God and know that he is sovereign and that he is in control when we can't see all those things that are happening? See, God is all-powerful. He is good. And a part of what God was doing in this story here is he's humiliating Satan. Right? He's humiliating Satan because what he does here, and this is, this is so good because God is, obviously Job doesn't think this is good because he's going through it. But as we read through this, uh, he, what, what God is doing is he's given Satan just enough rope to hang himself. And this is beautiful because this shows you uh, that, that God has, has no hesitation when, when it comes to Job. He says, I know Job's not going to curse me. I know he's not going to turn his back on me. He says, I'll show you. Right? In other words, what God is saying is, he's saying, I know I can create free will loving uh, creatures who, who love me for me, is what God is saying. And Satan's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And look what he says. He says, does Job, this is, this is, Satan is known in Scripture as the accuser, and this is what he says in Job uh, 9, uh, 1, 9, and 10. He says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. That, that, that's what Satan accuses. He accuses Job of false worship. And Satan is trying to discredit Job. Job he says, Job only serves you because of the stuff. Right? Job, Job doesn't love you for you and you alone. He loves you for the stuff that he's getting. It's, it's the things that he loves. It's the money. It's the, it's the prosperity. It's the health and status. Right? He doesn't really love you for you yourself alone. And Satan says, if any of those things go away, Job will turn his back on you and he'll curse you. Right? As you can almost hear Satan singing that song, right? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Right? And that's what he's doing there. So God gives Satan just enough rope to hang himself. And this is what, notice what Job does. He, he tears his robe. He shaves his head. He fell to the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I love this, man, because what Job is doing is he's teaching us a couple different things here. First of all, he's teaching us about the theology of grace. This is so important for us to understand this. You see, he doesn't say, these things that you've taken away from me, they're mine. I earned them. I worked hard for them. These homes, these these children of mine, this money, these things, these, these were mine. How dare you, God, take them away from me? But what does he say? He says, I came naked. Naked means helpless. It means vulnerable. And I'm leaving naked. See, Job understood that God did not owe him anything. 
Job recognized that everything he had was on loan from God, that it was God's grace, right? God gave it to him. They were gifts of grace. And this is why it's so important, especially for us, man, when we suffer. Because, listen to me, if we build our life on our things, if you say to yourself, man, this, this thing, this is what makes me who I am. I've worked hard for this. I've gotten this money. I've gotten this position. I've gotten this achievement. Uh, this, is, this is all because of, of my doing. Then what's going to happen is, is when you suffer, your suffering is going to be pulling you away from those things that you love. It's the foundation of, of your happiness. That's what suffering is. Suffering is, is pulling you away from the foundation of your happiness. And so if you build your life on things, suffering will make you sadder and sadder. It'll make you madder and madder. It'll make you bitter. You'll look at things and like, man, I, I deserve that. This is mine. But if, as Job, you build your life on God, and the ultimate love is God's love, and the ultimate wealth is God's love, and the ultimate status is God's love, then what suffering is doing is it's actually driving you deeper and deeper into the source of your joy, which is God. You see, that it'll, it'll actually drive you to treasure God more. That's why Satan is defeated, right? Um, Job, Job says the same thing over in chapter 2, verse 10. We don't have time to read all this, but he says, Shall, his wife comes to him and says, after he's been afflicted with all these boils and sores, his wife comes to him and says, man, are you going to hold on to your integrity? Why don't you just go ahead and just, just curse God and die? And in chapter 2, verse 10, Job says, Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Right? But despite our circumstances and feelings, listen to me, God is still worthy of praise. And I know that may not feel like it in, in that time, but, but God is still good. When the gifts are gone, God is still good. See, you and I don't get to define what good is because we would all have different definitions of what good is, right? What's good for you may not be good for me. And my perception of good will never change who God is, right? He is, he is and always will be good. So even when I don't understand, when I have questions, God is still good and he is worthy of praise. I'll never forget, man, I had a professor in Bible college. And uh, this professor, I looked up to him. He was a, a good, godly man. And he lost his 18-year-old son right before the fall semester started. And I can remember thinking, hearing the news, it was like just two or three weeks before the semester, and thinking, man, he, he probably won't be back at school for a few weeks. Uh, and I was just really just hurting for this guy, and I felt bad for him, hated it. And I remember, man, that we went back to school, and, there, and, and, and much to my surprise, he was there on the first day. And I remember, uh, I'll never forget what he said. He said, he said, God is good. He said, he gave me 18 years with my son. And, and, and he could have looked at that and he could have said, you know what? He, he could have flipped that, couldn't he? He could have said, you know what? God robbed me of so many years. But he said, you know what? God is good because he gave me 18 good years with my son. He understood the theology of grace. He knew that God was still worthy of praise regardless of his situation. I'll never forget that. 
Now, it doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean he still wasn't hurting. It doesn't mean he still wasn't in pain. But that's the second thing that Job teaches us, man, is that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, and they may not say this to your face, but, but they may say, man, I, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been several months or it's been a year. You know, why are you, listen to me, it's okay. Christianity does not call us to be stoics, you know. And, and what I mean by that, Christianity is not about, hey, you need to ignore the pain and suffering in your life. You just need to get on with it. God, God doesn't call us to do that, right? Job, Job is an example here. He, he ripped his clothes. He shaved his head, right? I mean, he is in deep grief here. He is mourning. But what's amazing is, is that in the midst of our grief, we can still worship because we know that God is for us. We know that God is with us and that he loves us. And listen to me this morning, man. That is the biggest thing that we need this morning. We need to know that. We need to know that God is for us, that he is with us. Job Job knew this. As you read through the book of Job, you see Job wrestling with this because Job knew that God was with him. That's why he was questioning all these things. He said, I know you're with me, but he struggled with it because of his three bozo friends. You know? I mean, it's it's just... Listen, that's another... I can't go there. But anyways... But, but, but Job understood this, right? Job knew that God was with him. He loved him. And that's the biggest thing that you and I need, right? That, that we can know, listen to me, that, that God is not indifferent. That God is not detached from our world. And that God loves us. Like, we, we can know that. Do you know how we can know that? Listen, I don't know how Job did it. I don't, I don't know how Job did it because we have a resource that Job did not have. And the way that we can know that God loves us, that we know that God is for us, is because God actually enters into our suffering. Centuries later, after the story of Job, Satan would assault another innocent sufferer, Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, right? When Job suffered, listen, Job, when he suffered, he was relatively innocent. When Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, he was completely innocent. Job only felt abandoned by God. He really wasn't abandoned by God. But Jesus Christ was completely abandoned by God on the cross. See, it was God's, God didn't just allow Jesus to go to the cross, but it was God's design for Jesus' life from the very beginning. Right, the, the Bible says that, that before the creation of the world, right before the foundation of the world, uh, the, the lamb was slain. It was God's design for Jesus' life to go to the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about the suffering, uh, the suffering servant, and this is what he says, it was the Lord's will to crush his one and only son, to crush his one and only son so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins, we'd be saved from our sins. That's proof that God loves you. That's proof that God is for you. And for those of you who are suffering and you don't know why, that's what we need. Right? You need to see the ultimate innocent sufferer that Jesus Christ went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins 
Because when Jesus went to the cross, when he died on the cross, it proves that Satan is a liar and that he's been defeated. And one day we will spend eternity with God in heaven. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that's, that's easy. I'm not saying that, that's, that you walk out of here and you're like, man, this is, I'm not, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But, but what I'm saying is you can walk out of here knowing that God loves you. Because oftentimes when we go through difficulty and we go through suffering and pain, that, that, those doubts begin to surface. That's, that's Satan. He's, he's, he's wanting to accuse, right? He's saying, God doesn't love you. And the cross of Jesus Christ is proof that God does love you because he entered into our suffering. So in just a moment, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have a time of communion, and we're going to, uh, we do this each week here at Chester Christian Church where we remember the sacrifice that, that, that Jesus made for us on the cross. And I just want to invite you during that time to just to give God praise and glory and to thank him for his grace and mercy in our life. Thank him for Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice that he made on the cross for us to celebrate the victory we have in Jesus. I want to invite you to do that during that time of communion. And so the guy's going to pass out a tray here in just a moment. But this is the second thing I want you to do, okay? After you've had a few moments of that, um, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up here. And our prayer team is going to be up here. There will be some prayer team members in the back. And listen, I know, I know that there are several of you who are going through some just, just deep disappointment right now. You're struggling. I know that there are some of you who have questions of why. I know that. And so we want to give you an opportunity to be encouraged and to be prayed over. If you just want to come up, I want to invite you even just to come up and just pray at the cross. Right? And just, 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 just as Job did, say, I will bless the name of the Lord. Right? He gives and he takes away. And I'm going to praise his name regardless because he is good and he is worthy. So I want to give you that opportunity to do that. So after we take communion, Charlie will instruct us. And I want to invite you to do that. I want you to be encouraged today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for... Your son, Jesus, God, as we look at the story of Job and we see it can be a very difficult story to, to read through and, and, and try to wrap our brains around this, but God, as we study this, we, we can know for sure that you are sovereign and that you're in control. God, we can know for sure that, that you are for us and that you love us, and God, we can know that because of the cross of Jesus. So I just pray, God, during this, this time as we celebrate what you did for us, that we would remember that, God, regardless of what we're going through. God, as Satan has been defeated, he's been conquered. God, we just want to, uh, to just be encouraged this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.